Hey, everybody. It is June 14th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I want to begin with the most important news of the day, your birthday. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you, Mosh. Any big plans today? Well, if anybody listened to the podcast yesterday, at least until the end, they would have heard my daughter mention that she is graduating from preschool today. I think I'll probably just do what I've done for the past couple of years, which is buy my own birthday cake <laughs> and bring it Wait, home. <laughs> Mike, what is happening? Mike, he's not involved in this. It was just something that I did a couple of years ago. And uh, I don't mind it, actually. At first, I'm like, is this sad? Is this <laughs> or just a sign that you're a mom and, and old? But I, I probably will buy my own birthday cake at some point. Um, and I think actually, my husband and I and Alex are going to maybe do an early dinner somewhere. And then over the weekend, I might do a proper uh, celebration at one of my favorite spots out here, which is just sort of a, a food truck on the water, live music, uh, lots of fun. I think with a Wednesday birthday this year, I fully endorse a very long birthday weekend, Jilly, <laughs> five-day birthday. Uh, much deserved. By the way, we should note you share this day with Flag Day, the American flag. <laughs> That's not where I thought you were going. <laughs> well, you wait for it, Jill, because I'm going to help us go to our lead story of the day because someone else is celebrating a big birthday today after a quite an eventful day yesterday. Donald Trump turned 77 today. That's right. Happy birthday to the former president. And that does take us to our top story. So let's get to some headlines. History in the making. Former President Trump reigned in federal court in Miami on 37 counts. What we know about what happened in court and what comes next. On to the economy, some good news when it comes to inflation, but certain things like eating at restaurants and paying rent, not getting better. And on that note, how much money do you need in order to consider yourself wealthy? A new survey has that number, and it's got seven digits, in case you're wondering. Companies getting tougher when it comes to return to office, but many workers still not having it. And restaurateurs say Tuesday is the new Friday, we'll explain. Plus, the Beatles are set to put out a new song with the help of artificial intelligence. And Moshe has on this day in history. Speaking of legendary uh, musicians, Jill, a uh, big day in history for Aretha Franklin. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I'll, I'll stop you there, though. Uh, It actually is a big day, Jill, for a couple of her other hits, which we'll get into. Okay, so you weren't stopping me because of the bad singing. I just had the wrong song. For historical accuracy purposes, I stopped you there. All right, let's get to our top story. Let's start with the historic arraignment of former President Trump in Miami. He pleaded not guilty to 37 federal charges that he broke the law by keeping and hiding top secret classified documents in his Florida home and then obstructing and lying to government officials who tried to get them back. Okay, no cameras or audio recordings were allowed in the courtroom. Trump's lawyer said in court, quote, we most certainly enter a plea of not guilty. About 15 minutes after arriving at the courthouse, U.S. Marshals processed Trump, which included taking his fingerprints. They did it with a digital scanner, not a traditional fingerprint. There was no mugshot, no handcuffs used. He was then escorted into the courtroom. One of the reporters for CNN who was in the courtroom said that Trump sat with his arms crossed, kind of slumped over with a scowl on his face. She said it was one of the quietest courtrooms that she's ever been in. Now, Tuesday's hearing was overseen by Magistrate Judge Jonathan Goodman. 
magistrate judges handle some of these procedural aspects of court cases. The judge, at least yesterday, was not Aileen Cannon, who we have talked about before. She is a Trump appointee who will be overseeing the rest of the case unless she recuses herself. Now, Trump was released without any restrictions. He didn't have to turn over a passport. But the judge did make a decision that the prosecution is going to have to create a list of potential witnesses that Trump will not be able to talk to about the details of this case. And it could be a long list just because of how many people work at Mar-a-Lago and could have potentially witnessed something related to the classified documents. The judge already ordered Trump not to discuss the case with his co-defendant, Walt Nada, a personal aide. Nada also appeared before a judge today. He did not enter a plea, though, because he doesn't have local legal counsel yet. Now, he served in the White House before and during Trump's presidency and then followed Trump to Mar-a-Lago. He is charged in conspiring with the former president to hide some of the classified documents from the government agents who were trying to recover them. Following the court appearance, Trump stopped at Versailles Cafe. It's a hub for the Cuban community in Miami. He met with supporters who serenaded him with happy birthday. He offered to pay for meals for the people at the restaurant. And this is a word we throw around a lot here on this podcast, but this is all unprecedented. He is the first American former president to be indicted for a federal crime. If he is found guilty, he could potentially face years behind bars. As some legal analysts look at Trump's strategy here, the first thing that they expect his legal team to do would be to delay this trial as long as possible. And the second would be to make sure that his co-defendant, Walt Nada, does not turn on Trump. So there are two things we're looking at here, Jill, as we watch this case unfold, the legal part of this and the politics of it. Let's start with the politics here real briefly. There was a big rally last night at his club in Bedminster, New Jersey, where Trump was trying to rally the base, rally donors. Take a listen to some of what he had to say. Today, we witnessed the most evil and heinous abuse of power in the history of our country. Very sad thing to watch. A corrupt sitting president had his top political opponent arrested on fake and fabricated charges of which he and numerous other presidents would be guilty right in the middle of a presidential election. He did the same thing, by the way, after the last indictment where he gave a speech to supporters. We'll get more into the politics here in a second. But first of the legal issues here, 37 counts, 31 of them related to documents uh, and related to the Espionage Act. It's all detailed in that 49-page indictment that we've discussed here, color photographs alleging that the former president held on to documents like nuclear plans, potential U.S. military vulnerabilities, and plans for U.S. retaliation in the event of an attack. The indictment alleges that he knew that he was uh, retaining documents that he should not have had access to, shared them with others without security clearances. Uh, and then this is key, that he directed his staff and his lawyers to help him evade the government. Uh, that was trying to get them back. Former prosecutors have said the government here has a very compelling case. His one-time attorney general, Bill Barr, has called this very, very damning. So, Jill, you talked a bit about their tactic here of not getting not a turn on him, also trying to delay the procedures here for as long as possible. Another key strategy will be jury selection. This is a state, Florida, where this case will be heard, where Trump did very well electorally. So you have the prospect that several members of the jury may have voted for him uh, when they get to jury selection, and that you just need one juror to create a hung jury, to hang it up for the rest of the jury. And so that could be a tactic here as well, is in jury selection. And the prosecution and the Trump team will both have to be very strategic 
in jury selection, ensuring that they feel that they get the right mix for their side. But before we get to all of that, uh, an attorney will be key here. Right now, Trump has a couple attorneys defending him, but he needs a criminal defense lawyer in Florida with experience in national security law. He's had trouble. He's been auditioning attorneys for the past couple of weeks here. They've been trying to nail them down. They've been turned down several times according to the Wall Street Journal. Part of the issue, Trump's record with his own lawyers, who at times end up in their own legal trouble and are sometimes forced to serve as witnesses against him. We're going to see it in this case here. The former president also has a reputation for not always following their legal advice, not paying his bills, including his legal bills. So once he gets an attorney, it'll all be about procedural motions to delay this for as long as possible. Ideally, he thinks he can get this uh, pushed back until after the November 2024 election. That's when, conceivably, he could be elected president again, pardon himself, or have an attorney general that helps dismiss this case. Which means we have the prospect here, Jill, of never seeing a jury trial. A lot will depend on uh, whether they can schedule this thing as quickly as possible. That is certainly the goal of Jack Smith, the special counsel, who wants to do this as quickly as possible. But there are a few issues here, including the fact that we're dealing with classified documents. So there'll be a lot of procedures on disclosure on how much can be revealed from those documents for the purposes of the trial. Then there are other procedural items. Then you can get to jury selection. And so we may not see a trial for a while. On top of that, remember, this is not Trump's only uh, trial right now. He has the New York civil case regarding the taxes from Letitia James and his business. So that's something that will be scheduled in the next 18 months. Then you have the New York criminal case regarding those hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. That one has several procedural motions, and then that's scheduled for next March. And so you have to somehow then fit this trial in between those. And I'm not done yet because he's also under investigation in Georgia over election interference in Georgia, where he could be indicted later this summer. And then Jack Smith is not done yet. He has a separate investigation into January 6th and whether Trump was involved in any criminal actions related to January 6th. So there are a lot of legal issues here that could hang up and make it difficult for Jack Smith in this case to pursue this trial as quickly as possible. When you talk about the potential jury pool and the fact you only need one jury to find him not guilty and then you'd have this hung jury, just look at the difference between the crowd that you saw at this hearing today in Miami. There were hundreds of people. Then he went to that cafe where he greeted tons of supporters versus his arraignment in New York. When according to our own Mo News reports, uh, there was basically nobody there. It was mostly just reporters waiting for supporters or protesters to show up. Um, but there really weren't any there. And so just in watching coverage today, one of the legal analysts that I was watching said, this is the jury pool in Miami. These are the people that they're going to be choosing from to sit on this jury and make the determination about his guilt. Yeah, it'll, it'll be very interesting to watch. And as you know, Jill, this is a much more supportive part of the country for him uh, than New York or, frankly, if this case had been tried in D.C. But the prosecution, it's believed, is trying it here as to prevent another way that he could have delayed the case by trying to move it from D.C. And it gets us to the politics here, which is his support, his base of support. He's doing this right now. He's facing all these cases amid a Republican primary, where he's just trying to become the Republican nominee again for president and then run it in a general election. The field right now is pretty split in terms of how to handle this. You have the long shots, Asa Hutchinson, Chris Christie, saying he should drop out. Trump doesn't deserve to be in office anymore, You know, being hypercritical of Donald Trump. Then you have the hedgers. That's like Nikki Haley. 
she's been going after and being critical of the political prosecution, which she calls a very political prosecution. At the same time, she's making a point of saying Trump having documents like nuclear codes and war plans and sharing them like he did and storing them in the bathroom and the ballroom of his club put our military and intelligence agents at risk. So that's sort of the twofer, right? We're going to go after the politics of this, but we're also going to slam Trump a little bit. And then you have a few of the other candidates, including the main contender against him right now, if you look at the polls, Ron DeSantis, who have been getting right behind Donald Trump and just saying, this is politics, this is politics, this is unfair, they should have gone after Hillary, they're going after him, et cetera, et cetera. You then have the long shot bid by Vivek Ramaswamy. The only reason I bring him up, Jill, uh, because he's like at less than 1% of the polls, is that he actually gave a press conference outside the courthouse on Tuesday and called on all his other contenders, all the fellow Republicans and, frankly, Democrats, to all promise to pardon Donald Trump if they're elected as president. You can imagine this will be an issue through the primary in that August 23rd debate. I imagine one of the anchors will go around on the podium and ask each of the candidates if they will pardon Trump. Uh, And so expect that to be an issue here. Again, Ramaswamy saying, you know, obviously I would want Trump out of the race because I want to be president too, but I feel like this is unfair. So it's very interesting to see how his fellow Republicans right now, acknowledging that the majority of the Republican base continues to support Trump amid not one indictment, but two indictments uh, are still being, most of them, pretty careful about what they say here. I do think, Moshe, that it is interesting to note when it comes to Nikki Haley, when we first found out that Trump was being indicted, she was kind of backing him a little bit and and showing him his support. But when the actual indictment came out and we read what the charges were and saw some of the evidence and learned what was in some of those classified documents that he was allegedly holding, she started to sing a different tune. And one of the reasons is that she said her husband is in the military. And this is the type of information that could put him at risk uh, when he's deployed. And I think that that's what you're seeing in terms of the split between the Republican Party. Some of the Republicans who have military experience seem to be a little bit more outraged by this. It's interesting, actually. DeSantis has military experience. He served in Iraq. And he noted in one comment in the past few days that if he had even one of these documents, he would have been court-martialed for it. But that notwithstanding has continued to remain supportive uh, backing Trump here because he knows he's going after the same base, right? Nikki Haley is going after a different type of Republican primary voter than Ron DeSantis is. Ron DeSantis needs to steal as many Trump people as he can because he's coming at him from the right. Um, And so that's notable here as you watch the politics of this unfold. The big thing I'm really watching in the coming days, Jill, is the polling on this. There was a snap poll by ABC over the weekend after the indictment was first unsealed that did show, uh, not surprisingly, vast majority of Democrats, majority of independents, uh, believing that this is a bad thing and backing up this indictment, but still Republicans standing by him. Now, of course, that was in the first 48 hours after it was unsealed. You can imagine it was a weekend. You know, people are still kind of getting around to reading the details, but I will be interested to see how this unfolds over the coming weeks and whether this indictment is different than the last indictment. And Jill, I think something we discussed in the past few days is also the fact that that last indictment, you know, even some liberals are like the uh, New York indictment by Alvin Bragg over 2016 allegations over legal documents and how to pay a reimbursement to his former attorney about a hush money payment felt like a stretch. And so now they're like, oh, another indictment? Well, it's probably like that last indictment. And, you know, some people trying to argue, no, this indictment, not all indictments are made equally. But whether that first indictment 
has now taken sort of a bit of the oomph out of this indictment and is just leading people to feel like, you know, maybe Trump's right. Maybe he is a victim here because he just, you know, indictments keep dropping left and right. By the way, we also have a Georgia indictment that we discussed might come down as well. And so how this plays politically, I wonder how that New York indictment eventually impacts the impression of the kind of people in the middle or even conservatives that might be like, oh, he does look like he's being attacked here. So there's a lot of complex things going on here. Of course, again, they're expecting to raise millions in the coming days, Jill, for his defense fund. And then you have the whole legal thing, which is like, will this trial be able to take place sometime between now and election 2024 uh, with all that is going on? So fascinating political track here and a fascinating legal track. Also just want to mention, he is not paying for his legal fees. His lawyers are actually going to be paid from a super PAC. Um, so he is not actually paying for them. Jill, definitely one of the reasons why they keep putting out fundraising uh, emails uh, to his base, because they want to raise money, both for the campaign, the super PACs are also trying to raise money. But keep in mind, super PACs are there for the candidate to help put out ads, to help be supportive of the candidate. And every dollar that is spent on his legal uh, expenses and not on like ads and getting the word out and pushing certain topics and policies, et cetera, is an issue, right? Ultimately, millions and millions of dollars will be spent on all these legal expenses that could have gone to other aspects of a presidential campaign. All right, we've plenty more to get to, including today's speed read. But first, we want to tell you about a couple exclusive offers for Mo News listeners and thank a couple of our sponsors here. We're going to start with Bull and & Branch, and we're so happy to be partnering again with them this week. Bull & Branch is a brand that helps you get an amazing night's sleep. They have a great sale right now for Mo News listeners, which I'll tell you about in just a second. My wife, Alex, and I got Bull & Branch sheets nearly a year ago, and they're all we use now. We actually have a couple sets. The great part is they get softer with every wash. Jill, I actually take a Bull & Branch pillowcase on vacation with me. Okay, that <laughs> that's loyalty, Mosh. Right, they didn't ask me to do that on par as part of this partnership, but I do that anyway. Their sheets are made with 100% traceable organic cotton. They're also made without toxins, free of things like synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. Bull & Branch has already been bought by millions of Americans. Another interesting fact I learned recently, that includes four American presidents. But let's get to the deal here. You can get 15% off right now your first order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. 15% off with the promo code MONEWS. Now to Athletic Greens. We're always talking about health trends and food trends here on the podcast, and it can be hard to get all of your nutrients. One way to try to get the important ones is Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy and it's quick, and it lets you get on with your day, knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. And it also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You could get a discounted monthly subscription or you can try it one time for just a month. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal. All right, time now for the speed read. Let's start with the economy. From CNBC, the inflation rate cooled in May to its lowest yearly rate in more than two years, likely taking pressure off of the Federal Reserve to continue raising interest rates. The Consumer Price Index, which measures changes in a multitude of goods and services, increased just 0.1% for the month, bringing the annual level down to 4%. By comparison, 
last summer, inflation was at 9.1%. So the new numbers mark the smallest increase since March of 2021, when inflation was just starting to rise to the highest level in decades. But when you exclude food and energy prices, the picture not as optimistic here. So-called core inflation, everything except for food and energy, that still was up 5.3% from a year ago, which means that while price pressures have eased somewhat, consumers are still under fire. So what is driving inflation at this point? According to our friend of the pod, Heather Long, a Washington Post economy reporter, rent and shelter, used cars and trucks, restaurants, and car insurance and repair. Most from just my personal perspective as a consumer, I still feel like prices are insane for pretty much everything. And I was looking at some of these numbers. We're supposed to be cheering that food prices only rose by 0.2%. They are already up, in some cases, double digits from a year ago for things like eggs. So unless they're going down, I don't think this helps consumers that much. I mean, the bottom line, Jill, is that when inflation slows down, that's great, but it's still inflation, meaning prices go up. So inflation rate is slowed down, but it's still more than it was a month ago. It's still more than it was a year ago. Keep in mind, typical, you know, some folks were saying, well, when will inflation finally go back to zero? Well, inflation never goes to zero. Okay. You live in a world, you live in an economy where typical inflation, healthy inflation for an economy is somewhere between one to 2%. And that's what makes the Fed's decision here today so difficult. So they met yesterday, they met today, and early afternoon, they'll be releasing their decision. And you know what they've been trying to do is to increase interest rates. By raising rates, they've been trying to slow inflation. And that has been somewhat successful, right? But you're still dealing with an inflation rate in the fours that is not where they want it to be in the twos. And as they continue to raise interest rates, that creates the risk for recession, that creates the risk for more unemployment. And right now, the feeling generally is that they've raised rates significantly every month uh, for almost a year now. And so everyone right now, traders, I guess, have priced in a 93% chance that the Fed will not raise rates today. So I guess there's 7% of traders who believe that rates will be raised again. But for the most part, overwhelmingly, the feeling is they have done their job and they sort of just need to wait for it to do its work, that the interest rates over time will bring inflation down to where it needs to be, that soft landing, so to speak, that they talk about. All right, sticking with the economy from Bloomberg, to be wealthy in America, you need at least $2.2 million. That is according to Charles Schwab's 2023 Modern Wealth Survey. It was released on Tuesday. It asked a nationally representative sample of Americans to estimate the average net worth required to reach the ranks of the rich Now, despite that lofty estimate, 48% of respondents said that they already feel wealthy with an average net worth of $560,000. And counter to the narrative that young people are struggling with money, feeling wealthy was actually most common among millennials and Gen Zers, especially compared uh, to Gen X and baby boomers, who are actually the richest generation. Yeah, millennials and Gen Zers, uh, much tougher times, especially the millennials who've had to experience the 08 recession and now uh, the struggle with COVID and high inflation. Though at the same time, we haven't had to pay our kids college tuition yet, Jill, which may be the reason we still feel a bit rich. Most just wait till you have to pay for preschool. It's basically the same thing. Preschool tuition (laughs) is the new college tuition, I've learned. And college tuition is the new house. (laughs) I mean, because that's how expensive it is. Jill, I can't even imagine what college tuition is going to be like in two decades. But maybe, maybe Congress will solve it. Maybe there'll be a solution. We can only hope. 
What's interesting, Jill, about this survey is that it demonstrates the difficulties in determining what wealth in America actually means. Of course, many people have been experiencing skyrocketing housing prices, inflation, what they mean for everyday goods. The purchasing power for a six-figure salary um, isn't as much as it once was, though it totally depends on what part of the country you're in, your individual circumstances. Uh, and what's interesting here is what the survey goes into also is that how wealthy you feel depends on your peers, on your friends, on the people who live around you. Almost half of survey respondents said being able to afford a similar lifestyle to their friends makes them feel rich. And more than a third of those who use social media say they compare their lifestyles to what their family and friends post online. And that's especially true of millennials and Gen Z. They also had a this or that, what wealth means to me, this or that. And uh, what was interesting is that they had enjoying experiences versus owning nice things. 70% said being wealthy means enjoying experiences versus 30% who said owning nice things. And this Schwab survey, I think is fascinating. We'll, we'll uh, post a bit of it over on the Instagram account. And wealth goes beyond net worth for many Americans. Nearly two thirds of those in the survey said that having healthy relationships with their loved ones means more than money. And 70% said that wealth is more about not having to worry about money than having a large bank account. From Axios, the push to get employees into the office on a hybrid schedule is getting more aggressive. As the labor market softens, especially in tech, more employers are insisting on in-person attendance. Tech companies were once outspoken remote work boosters, but that changed after big layoffs, swinging the balance of power back to management. There's less fear now of upsetting employees, and as more companies announce official hybrid schedules, they need ways to enforce their policies. In a company-wide email last week, Google's chief people officer told staff that office attendance will be considered in performance reviews. Google asked employees to come in three days a week back in April. Many initially just ignored the request. A law firm called Davis Polk and uh, the banking giant J.P. Morgan Chase also consider in-office attendance as a component of performance reviews. Lyft has started to require that employees go into the office more often. And Salesforce has an interesting strategy, telling workers that it will donate $10 to a local charity for each day that they come to work from June 12th to June 23rd. I feel like what's next, just getting down on their knees and begging that employees come back into the office. Jill, there's been talk that, you know, what we saw in COVID was a permanent shift and people got used to working from home and especially in a market where, you know, the great quitting happened, right? That people were able to kind of dictate their own jobs and do their own thing, that getting folks back to the pre-2020 world is extremely challenging. Notably, as far as Google's new return to office policy, CNBC reports that there's growing concern among staffers that management is overreaching here in its oversight of physical attendance and that employees are feeling like they're being treated like school children here. One meme posted by an employee to an online site said, quote, if you can't attend the office today, your parents should submit an absence request. <laughs> an internal document indicates how group leaders in the organization will learn who hasn't been in the office frequently enough. On Friday, YouTube, which is also owned by Google, held its own all-hands meeting with employees about the office policy update. At the event, executives presented the plans virtually, a paradox that did not go unnoticed here. 
It's incredible to think, Jill, that just four years ago, prior to the pandemic, Google was known for its campus life, massage parlors, yoga classes, video games, gourmet meals, uh, and it was the life. People wanted to go into the office, uh, and now there's nothing Google can do to get people in, or at least that's the feeling among management. And one more thing I wanted to add, Jill, here is that in-office attendance doesn't just impact companies and the culture within companies, but local economies restaurants, shops uh, that depend on local workers are shutting down in places like New York City and San Francisco in particular, have seen entire parts of Midtown Manhattan, parts of San Francisco, where office attendance is still at 30% of previous levels. And so local restaurants uh, and and shops no longer in business. And so you see this um, domino effect and certainly cities are interested in trying to get companies to incentivize people to come back in order to keep the city feeling like a city again. Most a lot of analysts who have looked at this trend say that it, it actually could take a toll on younger workers and people who've recently graduated because they're never going to fully get that office culture, make work friends, and even more importantly, mentors to really help guide them through their career. Um, and no happy hours, right? If you're not in the office, you're not going, you're not going to commute in just for happy hour. Or maybe you will. You might. You might get in there in, into one of those happy hours, even if you're working remotely, depending on how far you are. Jill, if anyone listening today hears more of an echo uh, when it comes to my voice today, it's because actually today is my first day in our new Mo News headquarters office. We've partnered with WeWork. Uh, we have a new office down in Brooklyn. So I myself, as we discuss this story, now go into the office. Our producer, our Instagram producer, Emily, uh, also in the office. Uh, we will be getting some soundproofing in here again if you hear the echo. And for those of you with really keen sense of hearing, there's a subway track outside the window. So you might hear a little rumble once in a while as I'm recording this. I will look for your email mandating in-office work, Mosh. <laughs> Jill, we're conveniently located just off the New York City subway. So I look forward to having you in here. Okay, speaking of all of the people right now who are working from home or doing hybrid schedules, it leads us to our next story from the New York Post. Forget Friday night. Tuesday is when New Yorkers go out and get boozy all around the city. Restaurateurs and diners are reporting a seismic shift in the vibe on Tuesday. So what used to be a night that you could easily slide into popular places with no prior booking has now become a coveted slot with so many people working from home at least part of the week and often spending Friday through Monday out east or upstate. Restaurants are now eerily quiet on the weekends. But by Tuesday, people are back in the city back at work, and ready to go out. Jill, we're recording this on a Tuesday night, but I will tell you that we are headed home tonight. We're taking it easy tonight. <laughs> but I am looking forward to being part of this new Tuesday Speak party scene, apparently, in the city. <laughs> <laughs> One restaurant owner was quoted in that New York Post story saying, the normal flow of Monday through Friday that built to the weekend is now different, and the personality of the nights have changed. Tuesday has become not just a night to have dinner, but a real night out. Another restaurant in the story says they've seen a 50% jump in business on Tuesday nights. One restaurant in Midtown called Monterey says diners are consuming 20% more wine on Tuesdays than on Fridays and double the amount of martinis. I guess, Jill, we've discovered the reason in this story why so many people want to work from home. They're hungover. <laughs> okay, and from the BBC, Paul McCartney says that he has employed artificial intelligence to help create what he calls the final Beatles record. He told BBC Radio that the technology has been used to extricate John Lennon's voice from an old demo so that he could complete the song. 
He said, we just finished it up and it will be released this year. McCartney didn't name the song, but it is likely to be a 1978 Lennon composition called Now and Then. It had already been considered as a possible reunion song for the Beatles in 1995 as they were compiling their career-spanning anthology series. Yeah, McCartney had received a demo a year earlier from Lennon's widow, Yoko Ono. It was one of several songs on a cassette that John had labeled for Paul that he made shortly before his death in 1980. The tracks were largely recorded on a boombox as the musician sat at a piano in his New York City apartment. McCartney later claimed that George Harrison refused to work on the song, saying the sound quality of Lennon's voice on that tape was, quote, rubbish. And McCartney said the Beatles were a democracy, and so he did not record it at that moment. But now, through AI, they have been able to take John's voice from that tape and get it pure, take away the background noise, and just isolate the vocals. When asked about AI in general, McCartney said, all of it is kind of scary, but it's also exciting because it's the future. So there you have an optimistic take on AI from the one and only Paul McCartney. Nah, still not buying it. (laughs) I still think AI is going to kill us all. We'll wait on the song, Jill. It might have all been worth it to be able to isolate these John Lennon vocals. All right, now for On This Day in History on this June 14th. On this day in 1777, Jill, the Continental Congress approved the Stars and Stripes as the first national flag of the U.S., hence why we celebrate it as Flag Day. Fast forward to the 20th century. On this day in 1954, President Eisenhower signed an order adding the words, quote, under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. Many people actually find this surprising, Jill, that it wasn't until the 1950s that we said one nation under God. It was actually done during the Red Scare Uh, as we were facing off against the Soviets, the communists, to distinguish the U.S. from the communists and reinforce that the U.S. believed in God. All right, a little sports history close to my heart, Jill. On this day in 1998, June 14th, the Bulls defeated the Utah Jazz in Game 6 to clinch their sixth NBA championship, capping off an incredible run. If you haven't seen it already, uh, it was out during the uh, pandemic, but The Last Dance on Netflix uh, captures this run. Uh, really amazingly. I was going to say that same thing. Even if you don't like sports, I think it's hard not to enjoy that series. That's good to know because I'm like a Chicago-born kid who had a poster of Michael Jordan on his wall and got to watch that in the 90s. But the run and that group of characters and athletes really does kind of go beyond sports. And finally now, music history, as we tease at the top, Aretha Franklin released her album Aretha Now 55 years ago today, June 14th, 1968, including... A couple of these hits. You better think, think, think about what you're trying to do to me. Yeah. Think, 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 let your mind go, let yourself be free. Jill, her powerful vocals, really incredible. She, of course, there, that's Think. Uh, also, this album included I Say a Little Prayer, uh, written by uh, the famous Burt Backrack, who we lost recently, unfortunately. Uh, but Aretha Franklin, just incredible. And as I think about Think, uh, anyone who's seen the Blues Brothers, her performance of Think in the Blues Brothers, awesome. I was actually thinking about, um, for say a little prayer, that it had somewhat of a resurgence from My Best Friend's Wedding from that movie with Julia Roberts. Jill, I have to admit, I have not seen My Best Friend's Wedding. And I haven't seen Blues Brothers. Hence the awkward oh. silence. <laughs> I was like, you know what's interesting observation, Jill? Let's talk about this. And then you're just like, I got nothing on that. And you're like, what about this My Best Friend's Wedding thing? I was like, I got nothing on that. I did a hard pivot, uh, but I don't think it worked. 
Anyway, on that note, we want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. And a reminder to everybody to consider joining Mo News Premium. We're so thankful to everyone who's been joining. Uh, it's one way to support what we're doing here, support independent journalism, get access to a members-only podcast, members-only Instagram account where uh, we share more insider details, answer your questions, and share more content. You can do that all over at mo.news slash premium. Again, mo.news slash premium. You can become a monthly member and we're offering a special deal right now, two months free if you become an annual member. All right, bye everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.